0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com In Galatians 6.11 it says, Look, See what large letters I'm writing with my own hand. This is Paul's way of dialing up the tone. He's trying to end the letter with a bit of a crescendo and get the readers or the listeners of this letter to um, sit up and pay attention. He's writing from a, a place of passion and deep frustration. Paul dictates most of the letters that you and I read in the Bible um, there are only three occasions where it's specifically mentioned that Paul picks the pen up himself and actually writes words on, um, on a piece of paper. To Thessalonians chapter 3, he ends the letter to the church in, the, in Thessalonica and writes a, a thank you to them. In Philemon, the personal letter he writes to his friends, he is pleading with Philemon to receive back... His slave that has met Paul and been converted. And so he picks a pen up and he writes that message directly to Philemon. And then here in Galatians chapter 6, Paul is uh, is picking up the pen, uh, relieving his scribe of the duties, and and finishing the letter off with his own handwriting. Paul's writing to churches um, across Galatia to confront them on the theology of the gospel. the the reality of the severity of what they are doing requires Paul to physically pick up the pen and write it for himself. The Jesus movement started um, from within the Jewish community. Most of the first converts of Christianity came out of the Jewish religion, but Christianity is a message for the whole world. And so as it spread outside of the Jewish community... Non Jews started to become Christians. By the, Paul, by the time Paul was a missionary, more Christians had come from a non Jewish background than a Jewish background. And that, huge, that sparked a huge debate. And you can read it in, in, in Acts chapter 15. Throughout history, God's family had been focused on one ethnic group Israel, the Jews. Israel was set apart by practices that they followed in the law and the Torah, like the circumcision of males, uh, eating kosher meat, and observing the Sabbath day. The vast population of early Christians had come from that religious Jewish community. And within that vast group of Christians, many had been easily swayed by false teaching that had come about, that taught people that to truly, actually be in the family of God, you still needed to obey some of those laws. And so in the final part of this letter that Paul writes to to the Galatians in chapter 6, he outlines three reasons why these false teachers are permeating their false teaching. He says in verse 12, they want to look good. They want to look good as influencers amongst the church, forcing others to be circumcised. You'd have to be a really good influencer to force me to be circumcised. Another reason he says in verse 12 is because they don't want to be persecuted. They are living in the Roman Empire and they are coming out of the Jewish community. Two big, huge groups of people, one that believe Caesar is God they're preaching Jesus is God. One is believing that the Messiah is still yet to come, they're saying Jesus is the Messiah and he was crucified and you did it on the cross. So that they don't want to be persecuted and so they're permeating these Jewish laws into their teaching. And then the last, in verse 13, he says they want to be able to boast that they've gained their own followers in arrival to Paul and the apostles who are generating converts. In other words, these false teachers have absolutely no concern for the people of Galatia and Even they're not bothered about serving God. They are looking to boast in their own good doing, their self-importance. They want to look good amongst the early church. You might have noticed, as Wendy read the very first few verses of this letter, Paul writes this. It's the only letter Paul ever writes to a group of churches. It's written to the churches in Galatia. Unlike the other letters, Paul writes... This isn't a letter to one single church. This is not a unique standalone issue amongst one of the churches that Paul has pastored and planted and he wants to go back and address. The theology of adding works to the gospel had infiltrated many first century churches across Galatia. And so this is why Paul writes the letter of Galatians and at the end takes a pen off his scribe and says, I'm writing these words. Now, for those of you that have been on this journey uh, going through Gal- Galatia, um, you'll excuse me, but here is a whistle-stop tour of the letter as we bookend it and come to its conclusion. Paul writes the letter in, holistically in three big chunks. The first two chapters, his point is the gospel is all about the crucified Messiah. He, he, he talks about that to follow Jesus, to become part of this new family, you aren't justified by the works that you do following the law. You are justified by the faith that you put in Jesus. And to have a place in God's family has, has everything to do with what Jesus has done for you and absolutely nothing that you can do in your flesh for yourself. And then he develops this argument into the middle two chapters, chapters three and four, and he says the gospel is now creating a multi-ethnic family. Paul points back to Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith, and he says, look, Abraham was actually declared righteous by his faith that he put in God's promises, not by anything that he did. And that Abraham actually believed that God would bless all the nations of the earth through his offspring – that God's purpose has always been to have one large multi-ethnic family that relate to God on the basis of faith and not blood. Which is actually why in chapter 3, you may have, may have noticed when you've read the, read the letter, Paul calls Abraham's story an announcement of the gospel. And then as we've looked in the last couple of weeks, uh, Paul concludes the letter and he shows that the gospel message transforms our living not by following laws like these false teachers are teaching, but by living by faith in the Spirit. And so he explains that we, we don't follow laws because that's not the key to how we live the Christian life. We live it through the Spirit that is inside us. And whilst laws are good, they never give you the power to obey them. And so Paul talks about living in the Spirit produces fruit as evidence of what God has done within you. And so Paul wants these Christians across Galatia to realise that relying on the laws of the Torah to ensure they belong to God's family was no gospel at all. Galatians chapter 1. He actually calls calls it a different gospel because the gospel has never been about earning an entrance into the family of God or obeying rules to remain in the family of God. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. And the prideful, selfish boast of these false teachers had distorted the gospel to a point where it was no longer the gospel. And so my objective this morning as we conclude the letter to, uh, to Galatians is to see what the gospel, what, what it's really about. And by doing so, we leave church this morning filled with the Holy Spirit, with joy in our hearts and praise to Jesus on the tip of our tongues as we go to seek to image bear Christ in the world. I want to show us what a holy boast in Jesus looks like. I'm going to cover three points that we were actually made to boast. That Jesus turns our boasting upside down so that the only thing we boast in is the cross of Christ. We were made to boast. You and I are created by design to boast. God created us with the capacity to boast and with the purpose to boast. He made us to think, to do, to feel and to speak. He gave us hearts and mouths to express ourselves. He created us in his image. Why? To represent him, to remind others of him to make much of him, to promote him, whether that's to your fellow human beings or to the watching angels. God created us to boast in him. Paul writes in both his letters to the church at Corinth, the same quotation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says this, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Old Testament is full of this. Jeremiah chapter 9 says this, This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast about their wisdom. Let not the mighty boast about their might. Let not the rich boast about their riches. But let them all boast in this, that they know me. David writes psalm after psalm. Psalm 34, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Psalm 44, in God we have boasted continually. We will always give thanks to your name forever. We were created to know God intellectually and experience him in our hearts so that we would rejoice in the way that we live and the words that we speak. God made us to boast in him. But because of the sin and our struggle, we sometimes find it very difficult to compute what a wholesome boast looks like. We're surrounded by selfish boasting. You and I, uh, and, and everybody that we interact with, it, it doesn't take you very long to spot the ego in the room. You don't have to spend too long in conversation with somebody before their pride starts to eke out of them. And you don't need to listen to yourself speak for very long to realise that you're just trying to promote yourself. Pride, boasting is everywhere. I have a bit of a reputation of being a reader that doesn't read. <laughs> I listen to books. I binge on podcasts. I, um, I check out Spotify sermons. Um, I'm an Audible fan, partly because of its parent company. <laughs> Each month uh, in our household, we rotate the use of our credit. You get one credit a month to select a book. Izzy picks a book. Next month, I pick a book. I listen to books on 1.7 speed because narrators are just way too slow at reading. But that means that I get through my books a lot quicker than Izzy gets through her books, which means that whenever there's a free credit, I'm the one that cashes it in. One of the ways that I prepare for preaching like this is just to listen to the Bible being read whether that's asking Alexa to read a chapter, going onto the Uversion Bible app and, and getting it to play a, a book or using the audio, audio Bible on Spotify. Whether I'm on the train, commuting to work in the car or falling asleep in, in a hotel room uh, whilst I work away, um, I just like to consume my mind with passages of the Bible. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a passage from the Bible to help us get a glimpse of what a wholesome boast is looks like. It's not going to come up on the, on the screen, so you're more welcome to close your eyes and remove your distraction, but I want you to listen to David boast in the Lord. Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let every generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on the tip of every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all of its creation. All of your works we thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak to the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about your majesty and the glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule through all the generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all that he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those that are bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all who look to him in hope, you give them food as they need. When your hand is open, you satisfy the hungry and the thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all those that call on him. Yes, to all of those that call on him in truth, he grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears the cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects all those that love him and fights against the wicked. I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever. See what a wholesome boast looks like? We were made to boast. In the excellence of God. And so when Paul picks a pen up at the end of Galatians chapter 6, he puts boasting at the heart of his final conclusion. Theology done, theology over, arguments all written down. I am going to talk to you about the cross. John Piper says this the question isn't whether we will boast, but in what and in whom we will boast. The question isn't whether we will boast, but in what and in whom we boast. So first Paul turns to what not to boast in. Those false teachers want to make a good showing in the flesh and force you to be circumcised. They will boast about it and they will claim you as their disciples. The false teachers are trying to get Christians to receive circumcision so that they can boast in their flesh, in their influence, that you can look good to others. And because of sin, we boast in other things other than God. Instead of rejoicing out loud and extolling and lifting God up, we rejoice out loud and bring attention to ourselves and our accomplishments. As Christians, we can boast about how godly we look amongst our Christian peers. We can boast about our abstinence of something. We can boast about our spiritual zealously and Christian activity. We can boast about the purity of our doctrine and how good our theology teaching is. Paul says, I will boast in nothing except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he starts his letter like this, I determine to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is our boast. This is Christianity, the cross, Jesus crucified. And so Jesus turns boasting upside down. Paul contrasts that sinful boast with his holy boast and Paul wants these Christians to join him in being boasters in the cross just look what we're doing this morning worship is boasting preaching is boasting singing Christ-centered songs is boasting sharing the gospel is a holy kind of boasting The Christian boast is not like the natural sinful boast. It is not a boasting in our flesh, trying to promote ourselves. It's not a boast in the outward appearance of how much of a good Christian you look. It's not a boasting in your strength of what you do for God and church. This has nothing to do with looking important or intelligent or impressive. The Christian boasting turned upside down is because Jesus turned it upside down. And so Paul says, be it far from me to boast in anything other than the cross by which the world is crucified to me and I am crucified to the world. Paul doesn't boast in his good theological arguments whilst they're pretty sound. Paul doesn't boast in his views versus these false teachers' views. He just boasts in the cross and he says, through this, I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. In other words, because of what Jesus has accomplished at the cross, Paul no longer needs the approval of anybody. He doesn't need to boast in himself and he doesn't need the world to boast in him. The world has nothing to offer him just as the world doesn't want what he has to offer. Today, as we think about Paul talking about boasting in the cross, it's very easy for us to get all too familiar with the cross. We see them on, on steeples We see them in stained glass windows. We wear them on necklaces, on earrings, as tattoos. Uh, We come to church, we talk about it, we sing about it, we read about it. The the cross is in everything that we do. So it's easy to forget and overlook what it meant in the first century. The cross was horrific. I still remember the very first 18-rated film, that I watched (laughs) what I'm about to share not my mum even knows yet (laughs) so if she does ever listen to this recording if it makes it um, all I want to say is I promise I was a good kid Um, in 2004 a film came out an 18 rated film it caused a bit of controversy among some Christian groups I was 16 years old I bought the DVD I waited for my family to be out of the house Uh, on a day that I was alone. I was supposed to be revising for my GCSEs. (laughs) I watched the film. The the film was The Passion of the Christ. And all I remember is watching the whole film behind a cushion sat sat on the sofa. And then as the tears welled up, as I watched the betrayal, the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus depicted... I began to cry uncontrollably. It was the first time I'd ever experienced something like that in my life. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't even stop here. My face went blotchy. My eyes began to sting. And I remember taking two paracetamols at the end because I had a headache. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of rebels. It was designed by the Romans to make death literally excruciating to make the pain drawn out and lengthy and to utterly shame the person that was on the cross and Paul says I'm going to boast in that to the Romans it was a shameful way to die to the Jews it was a stumbling block to think that the Messiah had come and been defeated publicly and shamefully on a cross and to the Greeks it was total folly to logically think that you could have a victor who is dead But to the Christian, it is the central point of the gospel. We talk about it every Sunday. We preach about it as the single way to come to God. We remember it when we take communion and we depict it when we baptised believers in water. The cross, the public execution of the Son of God is not just the way that we enter into Christianity. It's the very heartbeat of our faith. So we celebrate it. So we draw attention to it and so we boast in it. Why? Because Isaiah writes, the wounds that Jesus took on the cross were not for his own sins, but for ours. Isaiah 53 says, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we were healed. He was pierced for our rebellion He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we would be whole. He was whipped so we we would be healed. The eternal son of God took on human flesh and blood and went to an offensive, horrific, shamefully public death. He died for our sins. The stuff we get wrong, our sinful, selfish boast and pride. He was pierced so we could be at peace. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was wounded, so we would be healed. He was crushed, so we would be made complete. He became sin, so we are sinless. He was abandoned, so we would be welcomed. He died, so we could live. We are the ones who deserve to have our blood spilt and be eternally separated from God. But the beauty of the good news of the gospel that Paul is defending is that Jesus turns boasting upside down (coughs) so that we can rejoice again just as we were created to do so that words can roll off our tongues like Jesus is Lord. Our boast is a cross-conscious boast. Jesus turns it upside down. We boast in the cross. We boast in his resurrection. We boast in his ascension to heaven. We boast in the spirit, his spirit living inside us. We boast in our weakness so that his strength becomes evidence. We glorify God with a big boast. We have a Christ-treasured boast that we can be proud about. And so it brings us to Paul's point. We boast only in the cross. May I never boast about anything other than the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This word boast is a Greek word and it means to glorify, to lift up proudly. Accurately put, it means to live with your head held high because the, root, the, the word comes from the root Greek word neck, the thing that holds your head up high. When used in the Bible, it means literally to live with a God-given confidence. Because of the cross. I don't know about you, but when I find myself boasting in Jesus, something happens inside me. Where I feel like I can walk out of the room with my head held high and my chest a little bit further out. In an odd way, I feel really small and really big. I am humbled, yet I am confident. I've experienced it when... Reading scripture, or at least listening to scripture being read, um, I've experienced it when singing Christ-centered songs with other Christians, or in the car. I've experienced it listening to sermons online, and I've even experienced it watching a film. The spirit inside me gets excited. My heartbeat for Christ starts to increase. The anxieties and challenges and difficulties of the world around me—they don't go away but they now no longer become part of my identity. I am in Christ. He is in me. And through him, the approval of the world has been crucified and I have been crucified to the world. I feel 10 feet tall when I boast in him. I start living with a God-given confidence. Paul uses this word boast 36 times as he writes to different churches across the New Testament to explain the impact of the gospel message. In Romans chapter 5, he says this, Because of what Christ Jesus has done, we confidently and boastfully hope in the glory of God. Then in 5 verse 11, he says, We we rejoice and exalt, the word boast, in God. Why? Because we have received reconciliation. We boast because Christ has done something. Because Jesus has saved us, we boast. We joyfully boast. These are the words of a hymn written by the Rend Collective last year. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of my saviour. I am not ashamed of his power. I will boast in the cross. It is the anchor to my universe. My whole world revolves around its mystery. It's the focus of my heart. It is the centrepiece. All of my pride is in the cross. When I finally stand before the royal throne, looking back on everything that's done, I will realise there's only one thing that's brought me home. It is the cross. I will boast in the cross. Paul ends this letter stating that the boast in the cross counts for something. Verse 15 and 16, it says this, It doesn't matter whether you have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether you have been transformed into a new creation. And those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon you and upon the Israel of God, this multi-ethnic new family of God. Here's a contrast between circumcision following the law and the new creation following Jesus by faith. In this context, circumcision would be an action the Galatian Christians would take in an effort to make ensure that they were right standing in God's family. Paul says it doesn't count. He also says that not getting circumcised doesn't count either. Neither taking the step in flesh or not taking the step in flesh wins you God's acceptance. You cannot, in your flesh, earn anything to do with God's final favour with or without the skin attached to At the beginning of this new creation... It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the death and the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the divine burst of power that allows us to be part of this new creation. The cross dished out death to Christ and life to us. The cross crushed the Son of God so that we could be created as new creatures. And the indignity and shame of the cross enables us to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that's how we live our lives as Christians. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, these words. We are the true circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in our flesh. That's the message of his letter to the Galatians. I'm going to invite the band up and we are going to boast together. We are going to celebrate Jesus together. We are going to remember him in communion. We are going to sing songs that lift him up. We're going to celebrate his death and his resurrection, which makes good on God's promises from Abraham all the way through to us. It vindicates him, it confirms that what his work on the cross was, was effective enough to cover our sins. And it gives us confidence in salvation through faith alone. We call it communion because we commune together. But first and foremost, we commune with him. The risen, living Christ. When we take bread, when we take wine, we are boasting in the cross. We declare that we can find nothing of ourselves to find favour in God, but we wholly rely on that sacrifice of Jesus. You and I were born to boast. It is not if you will boast, but in what or in whom you will boast. So let's boast in Jesus.